I got to tell you something because I got to ask about this all this. This car's not real. It's made of styrofoam. Can we give it up for Del Poor and the wizards in the shop? I promise you it was made from the ground up, and I watched it assembled on Tuesday. I mean, the tires and the wheels are separate parts, and Dell is such a, he's such a meticulous designer. You have to get about two feet away to see all the awesome stuff. I mean, it's got gauges that are, that are perfect for a 1960 VAP. Well, our series is called Road Trip, and you know, of course, I'm not going to be talking to you about road trips. I'm going to talk to you about something from the Bible that connects. But before I get started, I do think it's fitting for us to talk about road trips, and I've thought about this a lot. I don't get to take too many of them these days because usually when I'm traveling, I fly, but I, I thought about through my life the stages of road trips, and I've gone through some of these, and I guess some are yet to come, but I come up with six. Maybe you'll have more, but these are the six that I come, came up with. There's the first stage of road trip, you're a kid. You see the world from the back seat. You get no vote as to where you go. Your parents say, you're going, you don't have any choice, and, and you're there. Now, I'm from a different generation, and maybe things have changed today, but I got to tell you that when I was a kid growing up, road trips in my family were driving marathons. My dad wanted to drive as far as he could go in a day, and I, and I kept pleading from the back seat, can't we just stop somewhere and do something? But no, it was all about driving. And I remember, um, and this is, this is more than you want to know, and, and it's not safe. And this was before the age of Ralph Nader. Uh, but in order for me to have a place just to be, you know, to sack out in the middle of the night whenever my dad wanted to take off, he put towels in the, it, it, forgive me for, for just a moment. This was back in the days of rear-wheel drive cars where the drive shaft went through and made a hump all the way through the car. He put towels on either side of the hump, made it level, and he said, that's your bed. So that, that's sort of the way it was back in the day. And then there's the second stage. It doesn't last very long for most of us. I don't think for me it lasted very long. But it's the stage where you move to the front seat and you're behind the wheel. And maybe you're all by yourself, but you just get into the car and you're taking a road trip. I remember I was, this sounds crazy, but I was actually doing a conference in Waco, Texas, and I was by myself in my 1966 Ford, which the air conditioner did not work. I had the windows all the way down and the music all the way up. That is what I remember most about that stage, windows down, music up. And by the way, I still have the music up in my car. So the next time you're in an intersection, you're wah, 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 and you want to say crazy teenager, you might want to look because it could be me. But I, I remember that stage of moving to the front seat. And then there is that sweet stage three where it's just the two of you. You meet that special someone and you hit the road together. And that's where you discover many things about each other that you have. Road trips are good for that. You discover things about each other that you've never known before, some good, some bad. Primary among those is you've discovered that it is humanly impossible to pick a place to stop and eat. Because you say, where do you want to go? I don't know. You pick. Well, you, you go back and forth and you wind up eating at McDonald's. So that's the, just the two of you stage. And then stage four is the one that I think commands the most attention. And this is when you have kids of your own who inhabit the back seat. No action movie, no drama on Broadway or off Broadway can begin to compare with the drama that is ongoing throughout the whole trip in the back seat. There is always some kind of drama taking place that is a life or death issue. Mary Alice and I were thinking about this, and when, our two, when, when Jonathan and Jared were small, I don't remember which one of them said it, but I do remember this plaintive cry coming from the back seat aimed toward Mary Alice. Mama, he's looking out my window. I mean, it was just... <laughs> 
And when you have kids on a road trip, it becomes a religious experience because you are making solemn vows before God. And most of those vows go something like this, I will never do this again. I was, sometime back, I came across some, <clears throat> some comments from police officers that they had harvested as to reasons why they let someone go when they pulled them over to give a ticket. You know, top 10 reasons that work for police officers. And one police officer I remember in specific pulled a woman over who was driving a minivan filled with kids, all screaming at the top of her voice. He said to her, do you realize you're going like 20, 30 miles over the speed limit? She said, officer, I was just trying to get, get, I was trying to get away from the noise behind me. <laughs> and he said, of course, I had to let her go. I, I, could, I could see her point. For all of you who are parents, you know what the official mantra of this stage is. It goes like this. We pay good money for this trip, and you're going to enjoy it if I have to come back there and make you enjoy it. <laughs> and if you're in that stage right now, just let me tell you the good news. It's funny how time in middle age whitewashes all those memories, and you look back and you say, you know, that really was a wonderful trip. <laughs> and then there's stage five, which we will call the Winnebago RV motorhome stage. And now it's just the two of you again, and maybe the grandkids, and you hit the open road. And then I guess there's a sixth stage, because if you live long enough, maybe your kids will take you somewhere, and you'll be in the back seat where you started out in the first place. <laughs> maybe you'll come up with more. That's what I came up, the six stages of road trips. But the reason why we love road trips is road trips are about getting away from normal. It's, it's leaving the normal behind. And even right now, you and I could fantasize about that. If the person we love the most said to you today, the car is packed, you don't have to go to work tomorrow, you're going to be able to take several weeks off, we're just going to hit the open road, and we don't know where we're going. We're just going to go till we stop. And my guess is that for all of us, there's a feeling of, you know, for a fantasy that we can engage in for a few moments, but most of us, if not nearly all of us, know that that isn't reality. Because we have responsibilities to take care of today and tomorrow, and we can't just hit the road and go. But there could be a larger issue than that. Because the normal that's killing us, a road trip couldn't solve. Getting away from what we're dealing with today would only be kicking the can down the road. From time to time, Mary Alice will say to me, when I just get overwhelmed with stuff, why don't we just go on a trip? And I'll say to her, because everything that's troubling me right now will be waiting here when I get back home, only more of it. That's the thing I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about a road trip where you can actually get away from the normal that's eating you up. There are three kinds of people in this room today. Three categories of people. There are those who have yet to have a relationship with God. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe this is your first time to ever be in church. Maybe you're very religious. Maybe you're not religious at all. But you, you really don't have a relationship with God yet. You're interested in it. You're sort of kicking the tires maybe. But as of this moment, if someone came to you and said, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven, you would say, well, I'm not really sure about that. I'm, I'm still on a journey to, to find that out. So th there's some of us here today who have yet to have a relationship with God. And then there is a big percentage of us here today. And this would be those of us who have at some moment in our life, we invited Jesus Christ into our life. We understood that Jesus died for our sins, that the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for our sins, and that if we invited Christ into our life, asked him to forgive us, that he would give us the free gift of everlasting life. 
But we sort of stop there. Because to us, the idea is if I can just go to heaven, it's okay. I want to have a relationship with God, but I sort of want to live life on my terms. I want life to be about my relationships, what I want to do, where I want to go, how I want to think, the attitudes that I want to hold on to. And to be honest with you, I find a lot of myself in this second category. It's like I know I've got hell insurance, but by the same token, I kind of want to live life on my terms. I think, that's pretty well, I think that pretty well sums up American Christianity. If we talk to our brothers and sisters in Iran today, they have a very different Christian life. If we could talk to our brothers and sisters who are starving in Africa today, they have a very different life. They have a very different walk with God. But we live in a fluent America where we can take advantage of God's gracious gift, but by the same token, sort of live life on our own terms. There is a third category of people here today. My guess is that you're in the minority, but somewhere back along the line, you found out and figured out that God didn't just want to save you from your sins. God wanted to go on a road trip with you, and God wanted every day of your life to be getting away from the normal that's killing you and for you to live a life of daily adventure. And I don't know whether you picked it up in a sermon or you picked it up reading the Bible or maybe you just picked it up on a walk one day thinking about God, but it came to you that what God wanted to do is he wanted your life to be filled with places that you never dreamed of going. He wanted to introduce you to people who were going to give you open doors into places that you never thought you would be able to go to, that he wanted to give you thrills that you thought were beyond your capability to experience. And most of all, he wanted to achieve through you things that are so much bigger than you are. So the three groups of people, those yet to have a relationship with God, those of us who have a relationship with God, but it's still life on our terms, and those of us who are on a road trip with God. Now, here's my hope in these five, six weeks that we're going to have a series. I hope you upgrade. I hope you at least move up one category. If you don't have a relationship with God, hope you get one today. And if you just, you know, if, you're, if you're, you have a relationship with God, but it's life on your terms, I hope you'll get into a road trip with God. And if you're already on a road trip with God, I hope you kick it up to a whole nother level. Now, for the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring the life of a person, a guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. I've been working on this series for two years because I sat in my office one day and I thought, who have I not talked about in the Bible? And although I've mentioned Abraham, I've never done a series on his life story. His life is given to us chronologically in the book of Genesis between chapters 11 and chapter 25. So if you want to read about his life, you can get ahead of me and read the story. And it's awesome. But today I want to talk to you about where a road trip with God starts, and so we'll go back to the very beginning of God's interaction with Abraham, and we'll look at leaving, because here's the deal. This is a deal breaker. If we're not willing to leave the place where we are, then God cannot make us the person he wants us to be. Let's look at this in Abraham's life, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your, now my notes, that's in red, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I, that's also in red, that I will show you. Now, New Spring, in your life, there is a place that is about you, and there is a place that is about God. If you and I are ever going to go to a road trip with, go on a road trip with God, we're going to have to go to the place that is about God. God is not going to come take us at the place where we are that's about us. He will wait for us to leave the place that is about us 
and go to the place that is about him. And I, I'm sure you've already picked up on this. I'm not talking about geography. In Abraham's case, it involved geography. And maybe in a few of our cases, it would also involve geography. But most of us, it's not going to be leaving our city. It's not going to be leaving the place where we live. It's a different kind of place that we have to be willing to leave. Let me give you an example. You ever talk to a friend, and you ask your friend, how are you doing? And, and she says, you know, I'm not in a good place right now. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe you ask your friend, how are you doing? And she says, you know, I'm in a really good place right now. We understand what that means. It's like life circumstances, relationships in my life, what my life is about. I'm either in a good place or I'm not in a good place. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying if we're going to be on a road trip with God, we have to be willing to leave the place that is about us and go to the place that is about him. What kind of place are you in today? If I were to ask you, What kind of place are you in? Would you say, you know, I'm in a really good place right now. I'm talking about your relationship with God. Or would you say, to be honest, I'm not in a good place right now. Well, I want to give you three life lessons and we'll go home. Or at least you'll go home. I have another service after this. But I want to give you three life lessons today about leaving. And so if you want to jot these down or if you just want to, maybe you can put this in your electronic device if if you don't have it on right now. Here's the first one. You can't go where God wants to take you and stay where you are. Well, that's really deep, isn't it? But you can't go where God wants to take you and stay where you are. In Abraham's case, he could never be what he was designed to be living where he was. And in Abraham's case, it was somewhat geographic. He lived in a city called Ur. Ur would be like the combination of the confluence of Las Vegas, New York, and Los Angeles. It was like the the hippest place to be. It was the center of the universe. The only problem was it was morally polluted and spiritually bankrupt. And God said, Abraham, you can't be the person I want you to be living where you are, and so you have to leave. Someone could say this morning, Mark, I don't like leaving. I have leaving issues. Some of you are married to somebody who's got leaving issues. They're kind of like one foot back in the house that they grew up with, and they got one foot in the new house. And I know that some of us have trouble with leaving, you know, but the thing about it that I want you to realize today, and this, again, this is pretty simple, maybe even simplistic, but you can't go anywhere without leaving. You couldn't go to church without leaving home. You can't go home without leaving church. Any place, anytime you want to go somewhere, it involves leaving where you are. What is it about the place where you are? And again, I'm not talking about geography. I'm just talking about the place where you are in your relationships, your walk with God and where you are as a person. What is it about the place where you are that's holding you back from being the person you could be? You know what I'm guessing it is in a lot of our cases? Well, at least it's certain. I'm not in a good place, but at least I know what I'm dealing with. How many of us use that expression? You know, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. A lot of us are reluctant to let go of what we have for what we don't have Because the seeming uncertainty of going where God wants us to go is frightening to us. So much so that we'll stay in a bad relationship, we'll stay in an attitude that's destructive, we'll stay in thought patterns that we know are dragging us down because it's like if I let go of this, what's out there? Don't you know Abraham dealt with this? I mean, after all, he lived in the the hot place to live. He had friends. He had people that he worked with. And Abraham announced one day, I'm leaving Ur. Oh, really? Well, where are you going, Abraham? I don't know. Well, why are you leaving? God told me to leave. Well, who's God? And Abraham tried to explain to them. 
And I'm sure that Abraham had well many friends who said, no, Abraham, thank for just a moment. Here at Ur, you have a job, you got friends, you got a city, you, you got all the things, the entertainment that we have here in Ur, and you're walking away from the certainty of Ur to the uncertain place that this God of yours is leading you to. When I started writing this message, this was not a point. But the longer I keep looking at this message, I delivered it twice last night, and I've worked on it for days. This has become the most important point of the message to me. You and I are a little fuzzy, forgive the, forgive the term. You and I are a little fuzzy about what's certain and what's uncertain. Because what can look certain to us is often uncertain, and what can look uncertain to us is very certain. When God said to Abraham, leave Ur and go to the place, question mark, where I will show you, it looks as though he is leaving certainty for uncertainty. But the truth of the matter was, he was leaving uncertainty. Ur does not exist today. It's part of the Iraqi desert. There is no city there. Ur doesn't exist. What he was doing, he was trading the seeming certainty of Ur for the certainty of God's promises and God's character. I know, and, and I, don't, I don't want to make a talk on this, but I know an example in my life is that we believe, Morales and I believe, that the tenth of our income belongs to God, and we bring it to God every week at New Spring. Now, it could look like that's crazy because you could say, Mark, you're trading the certainty of 10% of your income for giving it to God, and now you have God's promise that God said he would, he would bless you and open the windows of heaven. What I've discovered is my holding on to 10% of my income, that's uncertain because I don't hold on to money too well. But I've learned that if I trust God with a tenth of my income, he does exactly what he promises and he opens the windows of heaven. Now, that's just a simple illustration. But in your life, God is going to ask you to turn loose of what appears to be certain in order that you can follow him. But trust me, the real certainty is in the character and promises of God. Now, the next one's a little controversial. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your relatives and your father's family. Now, first, if you want to go with God and be the person that he wants you to be, you're going to have to be willing to leave the place where you are. Secondly, not everybody, here's the second principle, not everybody can go with you. You can't take everybody with you. Now, real quickly, I don't mean by that that you shouldn't love everybody in your life. You should. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do kind things and good things for everybody in your life because certainly you should. But here's the deal. You and I have inner circles. Here is how to measure whether or not you have somebody in your life that you can't take with you. Who is in your life that you would have to somehow negotiate the vision in order to follow God? In other words, if God shared with you, and much of it's in the Bible, but if God shared with you what he wanted you to do in your life in order for you to be the person that you need to be, who is in your life that you would have to negotiate with in order for you to follow God? Now, very quickly, if you're married to someone, you're in a covenant relationship. That's a little bit of a different thing. But I'm saying in any other situation, who is in your life that if you were to truly follow God, you would have to either talk that person into coming along against their will, or beyond that, you would have to find some sort of middle ground between what God wants you to do and what, what that person in your life wants you to do. 
See, the problem with Abraham's family was Joshua, by the way, Abraham is in 25 books of the Bible. That's really interesting to me. Joshua was preaching one day, and when he was preaching, he said that Abraham's dad was an idolater. Abraham's dad worshiped idols. And that's the reason why God said to Abraham, look, I want you to make a clean break. I want you to leave the place where you are, and I want you to leave the people that are in your family. One of the things that I love about Abraham, and it's not a good thing for Abraham's sake, but it does bring me comfort. As we go through this life of Abraham, we're going to see he makes lots of mistakes. That's not, I'm not glad Abraham made mistakes. This makes me feel a little better. When God said to Abraham, I want you to do two things. Leave the place where you are and leave your family. Abraham says, how about half of that? And so Abraham is willing to leave the place where he is, but he takes his father with him, and he also takes his nephew Lot. And I want you to read what it sounds like, because you and I know the clear instructions that Abraham's been given. Leave the place, leave your family. Look at this, Genesis eleven thirty one. One day, Terah took his son Abraham, his daughter-in-law Sarah, his, Abraham's wife, and his grandson Lot, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldees. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran, which is in the wrong direction, and settled there. What's wrong with that? Well, let's look at five, five things here. Number one, God spoke to Abraham. Number two, now Abraham's got two people on the trip that are not supposed to be there. Number three, worse than that, in order to get his dad to go, dad now has to be in charge of the trip, and dad is an idolater. Number four, they go in the wrong direction. And number five, dad decides he wants to stop. I'm about to share with you two of the most important life lessons in regard to the people in your life, whether you're on a journey with God or you're in management and you have to hire people for your team. These are two, I mean, here's the deal. Even if, you're, even if you're not a Christ follower, these are just two important life lessons about people. Here's the first one. You can't drive from the back seat. God has told Abraham to leave. But Abraham wants daddy to go, and the only way daddy will go is if daddy is in charge. And so now Abraham is in the place where he has to respond to the instructions of God and somehow kind of talk his dad into doing the thing. But the problem is, since dad is leaving, they don't go in the right direction. They go in the wrong direction for many, many miles. And beyond that, dad says, I think it's time to stop. Who is in your life? that wants to be in charge to the extent that you have to negotiate all the time about doing the right thing. Guys, this is not comf comfortable for me to say this, but you know what? You're going to have to cut them from the herd. The second lesson about life, we learn about his nephew Lot, because Abraham takes Lot with him, and we'll see this story play out throughout the life of Abraham. Some of you have read it, so you're going to know more about what I'm talking about here. See, Lot said to Abraham, I want to go with you. And Abraham loved his nephew, and his nephew loved his uncle. But the problem was, even though they loved each other very much, they had different views of life. And Abraham said to Lot, listen, God has talked to me, and he said, we can't be the people we need to be here on earth, so we need to leave. And, and, and Lot said, yeah, I'll go along with you. But his heart wasn't in it, because the first time that Lot got to choose where he wanted to go, where did he choose to go, New Spring? Sodom. Why Sodom? It was like Ur. You know, if, if, let me speak metaphorically for a moment. You can take someone physically to Canaan, but if their heart is still in Ur, you're going to spend most of your time getting that person out of trouble, and you're going to spend the best of your energy trying to get them to do something that their heart isn't in. 
You know, someone, someone will say to me, well, Mark, that's not the Christian thing. You know, the Christian thing, even if someone's hard, it's not in it, it's to get them to come along. No, that's the sappy American version of Christianity. Do you realize Abraham would have been far better off had he never taken Lot with him? That's a known. But do you also realize Lot would have been far better off if Abraham had left him in Ur? Do you know how Lot died? When God destroyed Sodom, Lot's wife died in the destruction. Lot wound up in a cave living with his two teenage daughters. They were afraid they were never going to have any children living in the middle of nowhere. Got their father drunk, committed incest with their father, and fathered two of the cruelest peoples that Israel ever faced. So it wasn't just Abraham that had been better off if he'd never taken Lot. Lot would have been far better off. Abraham didn't help him. Who's in your life right now that's in your inner circle? And you spend most of your life getting that person out of trouble. And you spend the best of your life trying to get that person to do something that his heart is not in. If you're going to leave and be the person that God wants you to be, you can't take everybody with you. I've learned that in every area of my life. I've learned that there are people I would love to take with me. I can't. I've learned that staffing through the years as a leader. I've learned there are people I love very much, but I can't take them with me. You can't take everybody with you. Third life principle, and then we'll go home. The third life principle is, is this one. The place where you are, if you think about where you are right now, if you're, if you're not yet completely in an adventure with God, the place where you are is too small for God to do what he wants to do in your life. You know, I, I, I did something this week I rarely ever do. I drove back to our old campus, which is about 12 miles away from here, centrally located in Wichita on 4.3 acres. And I still remember in the mid-'90s when I started talking to our church, which at that time we had about 450 people or so, and I said, we need to move. And, and they said, where? And I said, well, I, I'm, I was looking out along K-96, and it was like 12 miles away, and there were so many people that said, why do we need to move? We, we can stay right where we are. But you see, that's the problem. Staying where you are is too small. You know, last time I was here two weeks ago, we had 6,300 people in our services. Police officers had to come to our executive pastor and say, in between the services, there's a traffic jam a mile in either direction of the church. I mean, if we had stayed where we were, there was no way in the world that God could have done what he really wanted to do for New Spring. And it's the same for you. You say, well, Mark, you know, at least I know the place where I am right now, but God can't, God can't make you as big as he wants to make you if you stay where you are. Let's read what God promised Abraham, and we'll pick this up next week, but I want to just read it to you today. God said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. Look at the I wills that God makes here. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Look how big God was going to make Abraham. God said to Abraham, look, leave your nation. Don't even worry about it. I'm going to make you a nation, great nation. And then I love the second one, I will bless you. And God said, I will make you famous. That's better than being L.A., Hollywood kind of famous. That means your life really makes a difference. And, it, and it, you know, here's the thing. Jews and Arabs don't agree on a whole lot, but they agree on one thing. They agree that Abraham is the head of their race and the head of their faith. That's pretty substantial. And the most famous American president is named after this guy. 
God said, you'll be famous. I'll make you famous. God said, you'll be a blessing to others. I love this one. God said, your friends will be my friends and your enemies will be my enemies. How big is that? And then my personal favorite. God said, Abraham, everyone on the face of the earth will be blessed because of you. And God said, Abraham, that's too big a vision for Ur. That's too big. See, the reason why some of us need to leave the place where we are is God's vision for you is so much bigger than your vision is. In fact, one time God took Abraham out, took out, this is chapter 15. God took Abraham outside and said, look to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. For the last two or three days, I've been praying for you. I didn't know who would come today. And there's one special reason why I've prayed for you a lot. Is I realize that the real preacher this weekend needs to be God's Holy Spirit. In other words, the real sermon that needs to happen is in your life right now between you and God. Who am I? I need this sermon myself. I'm nobody. But I'm asking God to show you and to show me what's wrong with the place that we're in. I'm talking to somebody here today, and you're a wonderful person. And we all love you, those of us who know you. But the problem is you can never be the person God wants you to be because you're in an angry place. You may be angry at people who are dead, but you're in an angry place. And if someone says to you, you should think about leaving it, you, should, you would say, I know it's not a good place, but at least it's comfortable for me. At least I know that place. It's certain. Is it really certain? You say, well, if I left my anger and I'm willing to forgive that person, that would take me into all kinds of uncertainty. I have all kinds of questions. But see, the problem that you need to think about is if you keep your anger, you've got a certainty of failure. If you will leave your anger and give it to God, you now have the certainty of God's healing that can take place in your life and the expansion that God wants to make of your life. Amen. For some of you, you need to leave a bitter place. For some of you, you need to leave a place of sexual dysfunction, and I mean that in spiritual terms. I'm talking to a guy here today. You're a wonderful guy. you got many good qualities. You have a relationship with God, but you also have a porn habit. And you're not in a good place. There's not a snowball's chance in you know where that God can make you what he wants to make you as long as you stay where you are. But you could leave that place. I'm talking to somebody here today, and again, you're an awesome person, but the problem is you're in a relationship with the wrong person, and that person is keeping you from following God, and you know it's not a good place, and you know it's not a good relationship, but you say, at least, Mark, I have a date. I have a date tonight. If you are willing to leave the place where you are, the place that is about you, and go to the place that is about God, then God will begin to grow your life. And the best part about it is you can get on a road trip that will take you away from the normal that is killing you, and you can go on an adventure with God where he will, will do things in your life that are bigger than you are. He will introduce people to you that will have favor for you, that will open doors for you, that will bring you into places you never thought were, imagined, were possible if you will leave 
the place where you are. Let's pray. Father, as I prayed so much for this service, I pray that you will show us what we need to leave and that we will be willing to hear your voice. Oh God, may this moment be a moment where some of us realize that we can't take everybody with us. And although we may love people and pray for them, that we can't allow them to get in the way of the vision that you have for our lives. Father, I pray that you'll energize and excite people with the possibility of getting on an adventure with you. In Jesus' name. Pray with me one more moment. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm in that first category. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't want you to leave this place without settling that. You know, Jesus says this in Revelation. He said, I'm standing at the door of your heart and knocking. And he said, if anybody will open the door, I'll come in. That's all you have to do to God. You have to open the door to his son, Jesus. The door of your heart, the door of your life. The Bible tells us that God loves you. Jesus died to pay for your sins. And three days later, he arose from the grave. And if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to accept Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for you, if you're willing to put your confidence in him, the Bible tells us that God will forgive you of every sin and give you a relationship with him. Now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if you want to pray it, I'll say it real slowly because I want you to think about the words before you pray them, and I want you to own them personally. But the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and you're part of that whoever. So if you want to pray with me, you can do that right now. Dear God, I am a sinner. I can't fix myself. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and adopt me into your family. Thank you for the gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Okay, I know that happened quickly, and you may have a bunch of questions. So if you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift for you. It's a, a DVD and a book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. Please come get it. All you got to do is bring your car back to guest services and say, I pray with Mark, okay? That's all this. You know, they won't hassle your stalk you. Just do that. Thank you for being here for Road Trip Week 1. We'll see you next week.